This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. What do you get when you cross Suzanne Summers and Goldie Hahn? You get Linda Vaughn. And I'm listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Why don't you? $75 for tires. So they hear they're only $49.95. Then you got to buy all them extras. Like, do you want them on the car? <laughs> no, I'll just eat them here. Is this a paying customer? You want them balanced? What are you going to say? Hell no. I like to go down the road and have them go, bam, 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 bam. And that's what we're talking about tonight, because one little slip, you're out. This is a paying customer. This is Ted Nugent celebrating the American dream on nostalgic radio and cars. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and race fans, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your host, Robert. And Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, Billy, how you doing tonight? 
Billy's waving at me. We, uh, in case you caught that uh, beginning of the show there, where we did that little clip from, uh, I guess we did a little Gallagher thing, and we did that little thing from Caddyshack. So we did that uh, last week at New Year's Eve. We actually had a couple people thought that was funny, so we decided to do it again. So anyway, hey, run into your computer and Google TamTalk1340.com. You can see us live here in the studio. Tell all your friends, your neighbors, aunts, uncles, cousins, boyfriends, girlfriends, everybody. Be sure to tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And be sure and visit our website. We did some updates to our website. So be sure and check out GolfStreamMotorsports.com. All right. We got our events page all updated for the next uh, three, four months. And we have some amazing stuff going on. I mean, I don't know who comes up with these schedules, but I'll tell you what, just to give you guys an idea, it is just mind-boggling. I mean, in two weeks, we got, of course, this weekend, there's a number of things. you got the uh, Coffee and Cars over in Lakeland. You've got the Roar Before the 24 over at Daytona. That's kind of like the uh, test and tune for the Daytona 24-hour race, which is coming up. You've got Silver Springs, Al Ford Show, which is on January 12th. And then in Scottsdale, Arizona, you've got Barrett Jackson coming up. You know, classic car week in two weeks. That's the weekend. Starts actually the 14th through the 19th. But you got six auctions that week. You've got Barrett Jackson. You got Gooding. You got Bonham. You got Silvers. You got Russo and Steel. And you got RM. I mean, that's a lot to do if you can make it out for that week. Plus all the other car stuff that's going on. The big show at the Pavilion and so on. Then on the 18th, Mecham starts in Kissimmee. That's nine days. That starts between the, that goes between the 18th and the 27th. Then in Palm Beach, if you're really in the Ferraris and high-end exotic cars, you've got the Cavalino at Palm Beach. That's the 22nd through the 23rd. You've got the Devro Kaiser Show at the uh, in Sarasota. That's uh, used to be on Super Bowl Sunday, but it's on the 27th. And then, of course, the Daytona 24-hour race, which is also the uh, that same weekend. So, I mean, it's just a, a really, really, really busy, busy, busy car month, okay? So, at any rate, also be sure and check out our podcast for all our past shows. Go to Facebook. And like us on Facebook. That's uh, We want all our friends to do that. Okay, And I don't have any radio giveaways just yet, but they will be coming because we've got some events coming up. We've got some concerts coming up between the Mahaffey, between Straz, and our friends over at Ruth Eckert. And uh, we got a great interview coming up for you guys a little bit later. So we've got a very special guest. So keep tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, check out our stuff page. And be sure and buy a shirt. Also, go to our website, too, and check out our showroom area. We've got some new cars listed on there, too. So, uh, anyway, stick around, enjoy the song, and we'll be right back.
thousand years, gentlemen, room and covert tears. Then came the knock upon the door, two men she'd never seen before. Did you know, Johnny Brown, miss? We hate to tell you this, but has he a relative, you know? If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Hi, this is Jay Leno, and you're listening to my favorite, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And as most of you guys know that listen to my show and see me stumble around car shows, swap meets, and so on, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Ford guy. You know, I came home in a 1953 Ford. My mom had a 57 Mercury. My first car, oops, my second car was a 57 Thunderbird, and so on and so on. And my daily driver is a Ford Excursion, okay? So you know I'm a Ford guy, through and through, no matter what. Ups, downs, racing, in, out, you know, the whole nine yards. But anyway, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening a very, very special individual. He comes from the first family of auto manufacturing and racing in America. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, Etzel B. Ford II. Etzel, welcome to the show. Hello, Robert. How are you? And thank you for the drum roll. For the drum roll. Oh, we forgot the drum roll, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'm normally used to being introduced with a drum roll, but it's all right. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, so uh, tell me, tell us, tell the listeners, what's it like growing up, being a young Ford, you know, in Detroit in the uh, 50s and 60s? Well, um... You know, when I was young, you know, you don't pay any attention. I was just another kid in school. And I think your, your, or my place, I, I, I discovered my place in life probably a little later in life than most people, probably near high school time. Um, because up until then, I was just another kid going to school. Okay. Well, I mean, but, you know, your dad being Henry Ford II, the deuce, okay, and a Ford guy, obviously Ford Motor Company, did it, did it occur to you that you were – Ford, and you had access to all those cool toys, you know, as in cars and and other neat things that uh, Ford Motor Company produces? Well, as I said, I, well, first of all, I, I didn't have access to any of that, and I'm not sure I still do today. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, but, uh, you know, my, my father was very busy, and, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was like any other kid whose father, you know, worked 18 hours a day. I saw very little of him um, until... 
you know, I started going to college, and, and then I tried to figure out what I was going to do for a job, and he suggested that maybe I might want to work for the family firm. So I thought maybe that was a good idea. Okay, well, what was your first car, for example? My first car was a, um, a, a 19, I, you know, I call it a 1964.5 Mustang Fastback. Really? Okay, but good. Some people, some people think that the, the notch was the only car we launched in 64.5, so I suppose it was a 65 Fastback. Okay, Beautiful so. Beautiful car. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Fantastic. What? Uh, how was your car option? Two eighty nine, four barrel, four speed. You know that kind of stuff. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was the early goes of the two eighty nine hypo. Okay. So it was a uh, two eighty nine with a four barrel and a four speed four speed transmission. Okay. Did you yep. because you were Ford and your Ford connections through your dad? Was there anything special about the car? or Was it basically just a production sixty five fastback? Well, it had, it had a it had a pretty special paint job. I remember now, mind you, I was 16 a long time ago, so my my, uh, my memories are a bit faded, but I remember it to be a pearlescent white with a single blue stripe off the hood, um, and it was one of the early, early Mustangs that had a hood scoop on it. Well, that's interesting. So like a Shelby so, hood scoop. Um, I don't know whether that was... That to ask a Mustang aficionado, I don't know whether that was an option in '65 or whether or not that was done for me. I just don't remember. Well, let's see. I'm a Mustang kind of guy. I used to have one of the largest Mustang, vintage Mustang salvage yards in the state of Florida back in the '80s wow. and '90s. So yeah, I'm a Mustang guy. No, actually, they didn't come out with a foot scoop. Carroll Shelby did it in '65. But uh, and speaking of Carroll Shelby, you um, used to work for Carroll Shelby. Tell us about that. I, I did. No. <laughs> My father thought one year that I probably ought to be employed for a summer instead of just hanging around. Uh, and so he, uh, I, I said to him in one kind of off-the-cuff comment one night when I was at home, well, I think I'll go work for Carol Shelby. Why don't you see if you can make that happen for me, Dad? Well, he did. And <laughs> I went out to California for a summer and, um, and got my hands dirty with Shelby. And it was, you know, a great summer. What year was that, and which, uh, what did you do exactly? What was your job description? Oh, boy. Let's see. That would have been um, would have been kind of around 1968 or so. Okay. And um, I was a gopher. You know, I did this and went here and did that. And, and um, on occasions, I'd go out to Willow Springs and, and go drive Mustangs with his son, Pat Shelby. So Pat and I would sneak off in the afternoons on occasion and go to Willow Springs and drive GT350s. So... It you know it was fun, but I had I it was a great job. I enjoyed my summer experience, but I enjoyed spending a few afternoons at Willow Springs as well. What was it like to work for Shelby himself? I mean, what kind of relationship did you have with him? I know it developed later in life too, but I mean, in, in the early days, how did he look at? How were you perceived? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really remember it. I missed it. I met, you know, Shelby and I are supposed to have all these conversations that I that I never got around to having with him. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a lot about a lot of things later on in his life. You know, I I don't really remember Robert. I remember going and, and knocking on his door one day and and um, at the beginning of the summer and introducing myself and asking him where I should go. And as I remember, I think I think I was in Torrance. Uh, I think that's where the Shelby assembly plant was. But you're really making me think back. Um, <laughs> but I don't, you know, it, I, I was just a young kid that was, you know, in the middle of a summer job. Okay. Now, how about racing? Did you get a chance to go to some of the big races? Like, did you get to go to Le Mans with your dad 
and uh, Carol Shelby. In there? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I st- I started, uh, I got the bug very early. Yeah, my father asked me if he if I wanted to go to Le Mans with him in 1966, and um, not knowing any better, not knowing really anything about motor racing, um, he said absolutely, come along with me. So uh, my stepmother and my father and I went off to Le Mans and. Um, you know, I've been asked on many occasions what it was like. Well, I don't remember because, again, it was a long, long time ago. Um, but, but I remember, I, you know, today I see pictures, and it was, as I remember, pretty exciting. The drivers, some of the drivers that you got a chance and an opportunity to meet, like Dan Gurney and, and, and Bob Bondron and, and yeah. people like that, A.J. Foyd, um, did you get a chance to kind of hang out with those guys a little bit and talk, and do you have any cool stories? No, I don't have any cool stories about Lamar. I mean, you know, as I grew up and, and got a bit older and, and started going to Trans Am races and then Indianapolis and then a, a lot more serious about going to a lot many more motor races, I mean, I befriended all these guys as, as the years went on, and I got to know a lot of them, but uh, but really not much at Lamar in 66. You know, that was... You know, I was a kid. I was an 18-year-old young man, and, and you know, I was tagging along with my father okay so now you mentioned trans am racing and i'm a huge fan of trans am and can am racing in my opinion trans am kind of established you know the muscle car the pony car yep. basically yep and then can am was just all out racing i mean just anything yep. goes so i mean it was just uh an engineer's uh haven so to speak to, to unlimited whatever you whatever you could dream of you know you could put it on pavement that type of a deal so tell us a little bit about your trans am days when you were involved in when well, some of the races you know it was sort of it was um, the, the Trans Am series to me was really the uh, you know the beginning of when the automobile manufacturers in the United States got real serious about racing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what kind of budgets they had back then, but I'm sure they were huge because you know as you know better than I uh, you know we campaigned four cars. You know Chevrolet had probably a half a dozen. Uh, even little AMC had two cars, and Dodge had two cars, and I mean, it was, uh, it, it was, and I knew all the drivers, and I went to, not all the races, but I went to a lot of them, um, and it it was, you know, looking back, I'm almost 65, I look back on all the kind of racing series I've been to, there is no doubt in my mind that the Trans Am series was the most exciting time of motor racing I've ever been around. Uh, you know what, I have to say amen to that, because I, I, I definitely agree with you, because that's the one series of racing in terms of cars that most people can identify with you know your camaros your mustangs your javelins your challengers cudas and so forth you know so yep i definitely agree yeah with and the drivers were always very approachable and of course they went to absolutely beautiful racetracks oh yeah um and i was at an age where where you know i uh, i really wanted to be around racing and i wanted to be around these drivers and you know the the racing was so competitive uh you know, I mean, the Mark Donahue's and the Parnelli Joneses and the, you know, George Fulmers and, you know, and Sam Posey. And, I mean, it, it was it was a wonderful collection of drivers. Did you ever yourself have aspirations of becoming a race car driver? No, but I will tell you very proudly, I'm a three-time graduate of the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving. Okay. I'm a one-time graduate of, uh, of a course at Road Atlanta. Okay. So um, I've um, I've had my I've had my time in a race car, but frankly, um, I always thought that just being in and around motor racing was about as all I wanted to do. How about vintage racing? Have you ever considered vintage racing? No, I'm not that good. Well, no, you don't have to be good. You just have to have fun. You just get out there. Yeah, see but I, you know, I I really 
I don't know. I like to watch. Okay. I'm a watcher. Okay. A voyeur, so to speak. <laughs> well, all right. Now, how about cars? You collect cars? I mean, what do you have in your stable? I have, um, I have, well, let's see. I was just over there. I have a Jaguar Mark II. I have a 1970 Bronco. Really? Okay. I have a 19... 1997 um, DB7. Oh, okay. I have a 2007 DB9. Okay. I have a Ford GT. Good for you. I have a 1947 Woody Station Wagon. Okay. I have a 1940 F100 pickup truck. Okay. And I'm just about to buy a car from Galpin Ford that's a rally car that I saw at SEMA that I absolutely have to have. Okay. And that is, and that's that's one of these little Focus rally cars oh, okay. that uh, they took. Uh, actually, it's on their gas site. If you're familiar with uh, Galpin Auto mm-hmm. Sports, yes, um, it's on their it's on their rally site. It's a it's a it's a tricolor Focus ST. Did they have that at with, SEMA with a big spoiler on the back? Was that car at SEMA? It was. Okay, I got pictures of it. Yep. So if you have pictures of it, that's my that will be my latest edition. Okay. Well, now what about a classic 65 Mustang. You've got to have one of those, I would presume. I don't. You don't? I don't. No, no. I don't. I, I don't know why. I mean, I've always kind of looked around, but I, what I would really like to do eventually is get my son. My children are car collectors. I mean, they don't have a lot, but my number three son has a uh, a new uh, Shelby GT350. Okay. And it's really, it's really a great car. On occasions, I beg him to let me drive it, and he'll uh, he'll condescend. But um, I think I'd like to get a classic GT350. Classic Shelby GT350. Okay. Yeah, I'd like that. You know, one of the white ones with the blue stripes, a classic one. Okay. I'd essentially like to buy one of those. Sixty-five. Well, you know what? Maybe I can help you out because I buy and sell and wheel and deal in cars. As a matter of fact, a real good friend of mine, I think he's a friend of yours too. Do you know uh, George Wisman at uh, Classic Design Concepts up in Detroit? I might. The name, well, yes, I probably do. Okay, well, George is in the Mustangs, and uh, his brother Hank and I, we hang out a lot down here in Florida, so we do a lot with uh, huh. with Mustang parts and stuff like that. Matter of fact, yeah. I, I sent Kevin an email because I located a car that I thought might be of interest to uh, you or Ford Motor Company. It's a very rare car, and it was actually ordered by a Ford Executive in 68. In September of 68, it was delivered in October of 68, and it's a 69428 GT Cobra Jet Mustang convertible with some amazing options. Uh, probably every option on it, with the exception of a four-speed. They put an automatic in it instead, and it had cruise control, which is highly unusual. Yeah, and, uh, I think I saw that. I think someone sent that to me. Yeah, that was me. Oh, that was you. That was me. Okay, I sent you some I p- picture. Okay, but anyway, I get a lot of emails. You can imagine that I can't get through all of them. So. Oh, okay. Why? <laughs> you know what? That, that car belongs in the Ford Museum because it's so rare and it, and it has a little bit of Ford legacy there to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. How about, for example, like, you know, back in the in the 70s, okay, we were talking about racing a little bit. What were your th- when did you kind of get a little bit more involved in the racing to point where you saw a little bit? And I don't want to get into the politics end of it, but, you know, because like in the early 70s, you know, when Ford pulled out of racing in 1972, all us diehard Ford guys started whimpering, you know, because we were big Wood Brothers fans and and uh, Pearson, and, you know, we wanted the 21 car to basically beat the, the blue car, you know, which yeah, was the right. <laughs> and, uh And, you know. Now they race together. Now they race together. That's amazing, yeah. You know, and now Penske's joining you guys next year. Yeah, yeah we've got, uh, for the first time in a long time, I think we've got a really good lineup at NASCAR. 
Well, now I had Penske's been on my show. Jack Roush has been on my show. And uh, we talked a little bit about that. And it's kind of interesting that you now have really, in my opinion, probably the four most powerful people in racing. I mean, when you think of Penske and you think of Roush and you, obviously Woods Brothers is back in the game. I mean, uh, you know, that's just that's uh, that's 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 pretty powerful there right now. I think well, you, guys, you can't forget Penny, Penny, uh, and Petty, Petty Motorsports, yeah. too. Penny Motorsports. Yeah. So they've I got a really young driver called Eric Amarola, who is uh, is hooked up with a crew chief who's a friend of mine. And um, uh, I think that that car is going to do really well next year. Eric is a very good driver, and Todd Parrott is a superb crew chief. So the combination there between the two of them, I think, is going to be very good. Where do you think racing is going to go in the future here. I mean, the technology is changing. I mean, now you've got fuel injection involved. You know, we still have the old school style motors and stuff in there. But where do you think, and, and racing really is a test bed for production cars. And, and many people have said that. And you yourself have said that before, too. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that's a really good question because, you know, I think the fans really drive it, funny enough, Robert. I, you know, I mean, I'd love to say to you that, uh, that uh, you know, racing, I think, was a test bed, but I, but at least in NASCAR, I might suggest that, that the technology in today's cars, today's street cars, uh, is really quite, quite a bit more sophisticated than, than the average NASCAR vehicle is. Oh, yeah, I agree. So I, I don't know where racing is going to go. I, I, you know, I'm a believer of, of fan input, and, um, and, I, and I'm hoping that, that all the people involved in motorsports will have a good look um, you know, at where it's going. You know, the, the, the stuff that I find particularly interesting is, is um, some of these Focus ST, um, um, what's it called, Kevin? Cobra. Yeah, the, the uh, um, uh, X Games rally. kind of rally, rally cross. Okay. I think that's attra- attracting a whole new generation. I mean, my kids know more about these rally cross cars and the rally cross drivers than I do. Um, and I think, I think it's becoming a very kind of um, – more, I hate to use the word youth, but uh, it's attracting a younger, higher demographic audience. Okay. Well, we need to get kids involved in cars and sports, motorsports and stuff, because somebody has to carry on the legacy. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I, I you know, I, I think some of these um, oval races are, you know, frankly, uh, just they're very long. And if there are a lot of cautions, um, you know, this is a four or five hour event. I mean, I I was down in Daytona. What was a Daytona 500 last year? Three days. I mean, it was forever. Mm-hmm. Now I understand there were crashes and so forth and so on, but but um, you know, I, I just think the races are too long and they don't they don't hold the interest of the fans as much as it used to. Okay. Well, now you mentioned the global rally or the the rally cross, you know, like for example, yep. at SEMA, they had the global rally cross finals there, you know, and yep. Tanner Faust won yep. for you guys. And uh, so, and, and that's true, but jumping back to racing, for example, okay, you're right about the NASCAR, you know, because it's kind of, like you said, not exactly the test bed like it used to be and stuff, but let's say GT racing. Now, you know, ALMS and Grand Am have now merged, but I would say that yep. there's more high tech and more sophistication in Grand Am racing would you would it be fair to say that that's more of a test bed for production cars because they do a lot of R and D in uh, in Grand M racing? You know, 
I'm, I mean, I'm going to be I'm going to be frank with you. I, I believe that our cars today, our street cars, okay. are more sophisticated than probably you know. And I and I probably ought not to stick my neck out on Formula One, but but I would suggest to you that the technology in today's street cars is as sophisticated as probably any race car racing today, with the exception of Formula One, because, frankly, I'm not up to speed on Formula One. Okay. Back in the old... I mean, you know, if you look at if you look at all the new technologies that we're putting in our cars, and, and you know, especially with all the new electronics, electronics that go in here, you know, adaptive suspensions, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a litany of things that we're putting in our cars today that, that are very, very sophisticated. That, that you don't see in race cars. How serious does Ford take racing? Ford takes racing very seriously because it 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 it, it is a it, it's a very good marketing tool because when we go on and do research, we ask customers, you know, on the survey form, you know, do you like motor racing? Um, and and you you'd be surprised how many forms we get back where people check the box. It's something like. Sixty percent of our owners uh, like motor racing, uh, and then of course you go back to those sixty percent and you say, "Well, how loyal are you to a brand?" Um, and they say, and then I mean the numbers start to ratchet up. I mean these people are either loyal to Ford or loyal to Chevrolet or loyal to Dodge when they were in. I mean the loyalty amongst these owners for the brand that they like to see motor racing is incredible. So we're in motor racing because it sells cars. I mean, my father once used that old phrase, race on or win on Sunday, sell on Monday. You know, frankly, that phrase was uttered something like 50 years ago, and it's still as true today as it was back then. I would have to agree with that. I mean, you know, because people, you know, it's like me, myself, for example, me, myself, and I here, the three of us. We, right. you know, when I when I follow racing and 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 going back to the, let's say like the late sixties and when when I was a kid and I used to follow you know a little bit of drag racing. If it had a Ford logo on it, it didn't yep. matter who the driver was. I was into it. So whether it was drag racing, road racing, Formula One, Indy cars, as long as I had a, you know, and drivers like Pernelli Jones and people like that who always you know were, were pretty much sitting behind the wheel of a Ford or Dan Gurney who was yep. behind the wheel of yep. a Ford or Jimmy Clark who was behind the wheel of a Ford. I was a Ford guy. But when these drivers, like today, it doesn't seem like the drivers have that much of an allegiance to the brand. They just, because they, they, they follow the checkbook, so to speak. But there's a lot of fans, like you said, and a lot of potential customers and buyers we are brand, you know, we're blue oval lo- loyal, so to speak, you know, yep. just like the bow tie guys and, and, the, and the Pentastar guys, you know. So um, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Well, you know, we, we coach all of our drivers, and, you know, I, I hope that at the end of every race when they're interviewed, you know, they talk about their Ford Fusion and NASCAR and so forth and so on. But I, I wanted to comment about drag racing because um, because we went to John Force about, uh, oh, it must be 10 years ago. Yeah, 1997, and uh, and and convinced him that he should be racing Mustangs, and you know he he has done more for Ford in drag racing than almost anyone. I mean, we lost as you know we. I was a big Bob Glidden fan, and mm-hmm. um, and you know I went to his home and and I, I knew his family, and and I was as big a Bob Glidden fan as there ever was, and we kind of went. Dark on that on um, on uh, NHRA for quite a while until we decided to go back with John Force and he and his daughters and um, and the other drivers and Bob Tasca. I mean, they've done a remarkable job in, in improving Ford Motor Company's image in NASCAR. And and frankly, I'm I'm very grateful for all the work that we've done there. 
when when you talk about drag racing, do you guys have? I mean, as far as as influence on on other teams and stuff like you said you approached john force so would would it be fair to say that you guys actually go to some of the drivers that are pretty good drivers or pretty good teams and approach them or do they have a tendency to come to you well the answer is yes um but it it, it really it really all depends we we decided that we wanted to focus our attention on force and then he suggested to us you know they were all running keep black engines for a long long time and um john said to us that he felt that he that we ought to probably develop a ford drag racing engine okay uh that was suitable for funny cars and we went ahead and did that and then of course as you know we also had the uh king um, the Mustang uh, King Cobra, the Cobra Jet, which we brought back. Right. And that's more for the grassroots racing guys. But, you know, we have a lot of parts in our parts catalogs that are aimed at the at the grassroots drag racers, and we're real serious about drag racing. And, and, and frankly, I think it's great because talk about loyalty. Drag, drag racers yes. are really loyal people. That's There's no question about that. Let's go back to, let's say, like some old cars. And I'll, I'm going to talk about the the 1934 Speedster, and, and I'll tell you what, when I ran across that car, I was actually at a car show in Daytona. To, I guess it was a Turkey Rod Run or some event, or it might have been a vintage car race, but the 34 Ford, the one that your grandfather built, okay, yep. that car was actually sitting out in the field, um, and there's an area where the motorhomes park over at Daytona since they've revamped it, and the car was sitting there on display, and at the time, I'm not sure if Bill Warner owned the car or not, and then, of course, talking to the people, I took pictures of it back then, and this may have been right. 10, 10 years or so. It was and uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting car. Your grandfather was kind of a really neat guy when you start reading up on the history of him. And, and that kind of takes me to Lincoln, for example, because one of the prettiest cars that they ever built, in my opinion, was the 1939 Lincoln Continental, the one that was uh, yep. featured at the Rotunda that unfortunately got burned. Yep. But, but then out of that yep. car came the 40 and 41 Lincoln. Tell us about that yep. a little bit. Well, I guess I guess I would suggest to you that that uh, that uh, Ford Motor Company wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for my grandfather Etzel, because you know Henry was Henry Ford, my great grandfather was an engineer, and and that was his training. He he worked for the Edison Lighting Company uh, as as their chief engineer before he started Ford Motor Company, um, and and he was. Uh, the consummate professional in terms of developing, you know, a more speedier assembly line um, and, and, and a technology and engineering point of view. But his son, Etzel, was a stylist, um, and, and he had remarkably good taste. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't for him, I don't think Ford would have ever developed the Model A, which is the precursor to the Model T or the postcursor to the Model T, um, because I think Henry would have just built Model Ts until today. I mean, we still might be building Model Ts if it wasn't for Etzel, who came in and suggested to his father that uh, there probably ought to be a more modern design. So, you know, I mean, Etzel brought beautiful cars to, to Ford Motor Company, and, and you, you're right. He was the one that really convinced Henry to buy Lincoln. Um, and, and I think if it wasn't for Etzel and for all the good things he brought to Ford Motor Company, we might be a completely different company today. You would be be building just black cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, let's talk about Mercury, because that was also your grandfather's uh, idea, is to build the Mercury. And, then, of course, now we no longer have Mercury, and there's a lot of us that were Mercury slash Cougar guys, you know, that yep. uh, were disappointed about that. But, but tell us a little bit about how Mercury came to inception, and then you know, if you want to shed a little reason why they made it go away. Yeah. Poor Mercury. I was... Uh, uh 
in 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 part of my life at Ford Motor Company, um, I was the uh, sales. I was the marketing manager for Lincoln Mercury, and then I went on to be the sales manager of Lincoln Mercury. And I I lived with Mercury all my life, and um, it it was a, a a a wonderful brand. The it it was just it, it was execution. Um, we 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 Ford Motor Company just. We couldn't make it any – we should have made it more different than the facing Ford product. Mm-hmm. And when we did, quite frankly, Robert, it did very well. The Grand Marquis, you know, for a long time we split pretty much away from the, from the Crown Victoria right. or the LTD. Right. And, um, and it did very well. I mean, when I was a sales manager of, of Lincoln Mercury, we sold 700,000 Mercury's a year. 700,000 Mercury's. And I lived through Cougars and I lived through through a whole bunch of Mercury's that weren't all that swell, but it was a it was a great a great car. The dealers were excellent. Um and I, you know, it was a brand that it it just uh you know, I think maybe it had seen its day and I think that the company probably rightfully so wanted to concentrate on the Ford brand and the Lincoln brand and there just wasn't there just wasn't room for Mercury, but but um, on the day we canceled the brand, I sent Alan Malai an email saying this is a sad day for all of us Mercury fans. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this now. Let's let's go back to 1956, 57, and 58 when the Etzel finally made its debut. And I got to say this: my my mom had a 57 Mercury when I was younger. We grew up, I grew up in Northern California, and we loved that 57 two door Mercury Montclair that she had. Yep. But when she took yep. her car in for service at the Ford dealers, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership in Mill Valley, California, just north of San Francisco, they gave her an Etzel to drive for a week. And my mom at first was a little apprehensive because of the stories associated with it. But then when she actually drove the car, she thought that push-button little gizmo, and, and the car actually drove and ran fine. She was actually happy with oh, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a, you know, but, but uh, you know, mind you, it was, again, you know, if you go back to – if you go to today and you – this in terms of, of branding, the way we look at branding today, mm-hmm. we tried to stuff Etzel in between Mercury and Lincoln. Right. And, frankly, between you and me, I don't think there was a lot of room in there. It was a pretty small segment. Um, you know, we had to we had to put things on Etzel that were really modern and really, um, um, you know, the the, 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 the push button transmissions and all that was pretty modern for the day. Um, and, the, yeah. and the styling, I mean, the horse car, the grill, you know, became a a symbol of an ugly car, but it, but it really was fairly modern design. And it, you know, it just wasn't going to work. I think the segment was too small. The volume, you know, came way off. By the time 1961 rolled around, we weren't selling any of them at all. But well, go ahead. I, for, I, I should tell you a little story. So I've never said this to anyone, but sitting on my desk that I look at every day is a. I'm going to figure out what year this is. This is a. 1958 Etzel Bermuda station wagon. Okay. And I keep it on my desk because it's a beautiful car because it's done in that sort of coral color right. with kind of wood grain on the side. <laughs> and I look at it, and it makes me feel good every day when I come into work. Well, no, but, I mean, that was a good-looking car. By the way, I actually had. I had a villager wagon at one point in time. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, that I don't was, know how many of these Bermudas we made, but it, but it sure is a pretty car. <laughs> well, now, you know, it's funny you mention that because, really, I thought, and in growing up as a kid back then and even today, I think the Etzel is still a good-looking car. As a matter of fact, I have a horse-collar grill out of one of my Etzels that I parted out many, many years. It's hanging on my wall in my garage. 
it's, there it's, we go. It's an actual. Thank you very much. No, seriously, and it's an actual. We fans appreciate it. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Let me throw this one out at you. What is the possibility now that you don't have Mercury anymore? What's the possibilities of reviving the name Etzel and badging a car called the Etzel again? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Zero. You say that emphatically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, well, no, no, I'm serious because, I mean, it's kind of cool. All right, let's jump to Lincoln real quick. All right, now that you've got the Lincoln in, now here's here's one of the complaints that us as Ford guys have, okay? We always yeah. felt that we're always like this, even though we, we, you know, we have to make our cars go faster and stuff like that, but it just seems like Ford always seems to fall short in the horsepower and performance and handling department compared to that other, you know, that uh, Brand X company that's down the street from you there in yeah. Flint. <laughs> you know? And uh, so why is it that Ford's always just a little shy in the horsepower department? Or is it just the thing about ratings and printing? And like, I mean, no, in the 60s and 70s, it was all about, well, we don't want to, you know, rate our horsepower because, you know, insurance and yada, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that's always a concern that this Ford guys, because when we go to battle and we bench race at the racetrack or at the swap meets, we got to get beat up on all the time because of the Chevrolet guys. So what's your comment there? You know, there? I'm really surprised you say that because I thought we had won the horsepower war. No, we're I'd, have to, I'd have to go back and have a look. So that's just a suggestion. We just want to have more horsepower all the time over Chevrolet and Mopar, you know, because we're Ford guys. Rumors, yep. the new Mustang. What is the new Mustang going to look like? And are they going to replace the V8? In other words, will that car no longer be available with a V8, but with a six-cylinder motor? Oh, I can't. You know, I mean, if I even commented on the new Mustang, I'd have my toes removed. Okay, well, we won't do that then. Okay, you know, well. because there's, there are, there are policemen outside my door going, if he says anything that even smacks of... Uh, Mustang. Well, I will tell you one thing. Okay. I saw it the other day, and it is beautiful. Is it? Okay. Yes. Well, that's... It is gorgeous. Is it uh, a complete drastic change from what... No, that's all I... That's, I can't that's... say anything more than that. <laughs> I can tell you that, that if you're a Mustang aficionado, you'll be very pleased. Uh, let me digress here for a second from that. You mentioned that you had a DB9 and you had a, another Aston Martin, and I'm also an Aston Martin fan, and I was really heartbroken. I was jumping for joy when you bought Aston Martin, then I cried like a baby when you got rid of it. But I understand you still have, what, 10 or 20% interest still in Aston Martin? Yeah, we do We do some powertrain work with them, um, okay. but but I think that, that slowly but surely that will, you know, as they're, as they're looking for alternative powertrain sources, I think we'll, we'll end up not owning 10%. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. What are your thoughts on, you know, the, the auto industry in general, be it Europe, be it the, you know, the Pacific Rim, be it the United States, be it South America? Where do you think in 10, 15, 20 years Ford Motor Company is going to be? How many companies do you think are going to be out there? Do you think Ford Motor Company is going to stay in automotive or will they kind of expand into other areas? Um, share some thoughts on that, please. Yeah, we, we well, I can't speak for anybody else because okay. that's sort of inappropriate. I, I can say that Ford Motor Company, about uh, six or seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, we ventured away from automotive and started dabbling, um, and, and it, it doesn't suit us. We're not, we're not, A, we're not very good dabblers, and B, when we dabble in things that aren't automotive-related, we just, we don't do a particularly good job at it. It's not that we do a bad job. It's just not our. It's not our uh, our uh, our forte. Okay. Um, so I think you'll see Ford Motor Company continuing to be, you know, 
one of the top three or four automakers. I think you'll see us be very well represented in, in, in emerging markets all over the world. Um, I think you'll see, you know, once the infrastructure of a, of a country like India um, you know, comes comes uh, comes good. Well, you know, we're we're building assembly plants in India. We're building assembly plants in China. We've got two assembly plants in in Russia. We've got you know we got we got capacity all over the world. Um, and I think and I think that um, I think you'll continue to see us see us as one of the top two or three automobile manufacturers in the world. So consolidation would be a fair statement in the industry. I don't have any idea. Okay. <laughs> I know you can't really comment. Okay. Because you know, I mean, it, 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 those are all long-term manufacturing plans that mm-hmm. that people have, and you know, Lord only knows what what people will end up doing. Okay. You know, I mean, if someone said to me the other day, you know, how how well do you think the Koreans are doing? And I said, I think they're doing very well. I think the Koreans have very very interesting cars. Now, ten years ago or twenty years ago, the Koreans weren't even on the landscape. So, you know, just when you think you, you know what's going on, you don't, because something changes. And, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen in China, right? Yeah. Just... Ten, ten, years, ten years from now, we might be having the same conversation, and, you know, you and I might be commenting on some new Chinese car that just was launched in America. You know, we just don't know. We've got two plants in China right now. Is, is we it... manufacture for the local market. Um, also, there's one in Brazil. I understand it's supposed to be a real sophisticated Ford plant in Brazil. Is that true? Yep, we've got uh, we got two or three plants in Brazil. We've got a plant in um, in Argentina. Okay. We have an assembly facility in Venezuela that's been there for years and years and years. Um, so we have um, we're located in 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 a lot of uh, countries around the world. Australia is a big market for us. New Zealand's a big market for us. Um, South Africa, we we uh, we have a big uh, assembly plant in in uh, in South Africa. We assembled the new Ranger pickup truck. Um, the Flat Rock plant. Now, last year when I was there, we were up there for the Ford Mustang Boss reunion, and they gave yeah. us a tour at the Flat Rock plant. At that time, they were just doing Mustangs. They used to build Mosses there, and then there was yes. talk that they may be building some of the Lincoln cars there as well. Not, just... not to my knowledge. I think it's going to be Mustang for the time being. Okay. Yeah, and Fusion. All right, we got a few minutes left here. Let's talk about racing in America. Your prog- a little uh, one of your prep projects yes. right now. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, this is this was sort of an interesting idea because many of us believe that that racing in America is is a, is really a technology driven sport, and there are some things that uh, that uh, we that many of us thought we ought to somehow figure out how to talk about tire technologies, um, uh, the roof flaps on, um, on NASCAR vehicles, uh, Hans devices, things like this that, that, that were really um, invented in the United States um, and, and were a different kind of a technology. So the guys at the Henry Ford Museum came to me and said, um, you know, we think we'd like to dedicate something in the neighborhood of 30,000 square feet, and we'd like to talk about technology. And I said, well, that sounds like a really good idea. So we are now going around talking to lots of people um, um, about technology and motor racing and, you know, how can we display this uh, in a permanent display, I might add, um, at the Henry Ford Museum uh, here in Dearborn. 
So we're going around talking to people, and so far I, we've had pretty good luck. Um, we've got a lot of people interested. Roger Penske's interested. Uh, Rick Hendrick is a, is a co-chair. Uh, Roger Penske's a co-chair. Jack Roush is a co-chair. I'm one of the co-chairs. We've got um, some really neat artifacts coming. Um, we've got, um, um, I can't remember all, but we've got great cars. We've got the car that won Le Mans 1968, the, the uh, Mark IV. We've got, um, you know, none of it's going to come to me right now, but it's going to be a really neat exhibit. And um, we're off kind of pounding the pavement to see, uh, to see how people can help. Now, is this something that you go around the country, basically, and you kind of give, like, let's say, like a seminar or something like that, where people can kind of find out about it and get interested in no, it? No, it's a, it's a fixed exhibit, okay. but there is an educational piece of it, which has already been written, okay. um, and it's available to schools around the country. Okay. Um, but the exhibit itself will be fixed at the museum. Are you involved in any programs that would get kids interested or involved in racing, you know, at, at various locations around the country? You know, I mean, yeah, programs. We, we don't we don't really do that. I mean, it's it's uh, this racing in America really is more of, of an innovative innovation uh, technology mathematics kind of a course. OK. Um, that's available to, I think, high school kids. Okay. Um, is, it, is it just in the Detroit area, or is it uh, nationwide? No, 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 no. It's a national program. Okay. Okay. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure one can get information at at uh, at I think it's thehenry.org. Um, RacingInAmerica.com. Or RacingInAmerica.com. Okay. Well, we can certainly talk about that once in a while on our show. Yeah, I mean that's a really it's a neat idea, and um, you know we've got um, I'm trying to you know none of this is going to come to me right now. Um, <laughs> I know, but same. we've got we've got some really you know neat exhibits and neat cars and and um, so it's exciting. Okay, good. One more thing before we go because we have a few minutes left here, a few seconds left. Uh, any luck on the punch bowl? <laughs> <laughs> oh, before I die, if I could get that punch bowl back. You know, it's a, it was a wonderful story. I mean, I know you've heard the story, and, yep. and I this this idea of it being lost. Um, you know, we think it. We think, as you know, it went to auction, and and someone has it sitting somewhere in someone's house, really not understanding exactly what they have. Um, is there an ins- so the, the, is there an inscription on it? How would somebody identify? Because oddly enough, now, I was, no, there was no there was no inscription. We we obviously we know what it looks like because it was photographed. Okay, so we you know with if someone had it, we we could you know decide whether or not we thought it was the original. We know we know who the manufacturer is. Um, well, the reason I say that, oddly enough, and we were just been joking around about that, me and a couple guys, but there's a condominium complex here in Clearwater, Florida, on Island Estates, and it's called Dearborn Towers. And the majority of the people that are in there are former Ford employees. And really? You ne- yeah, and you would never, you never know. And they're seniors now, but you just don't know. There's a good possibility Monday, one day somebody might have a garage sale. You know, and guess what? Well, you know, this whole thing about trophies is very interesting because <laughs> this is a this is a funny story, and this got me kick off thinking about all this stuff. Shelby called me up one day. He said, "Ansel, I want my trophy back." I said, "Carol, what trophy are you talking about?" He said, "I won the FIA World Championship in 1963 in the Cobra, and you have my trophy." <laughs> I said, Carol, I don't have your trophy. I have no idea where your trophy is. So I went on a witch hunt to find Carol's FIA championship trophy, trophy and that he won in 1963 or thereabouts. Five, 65, 65. Uh, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And as I, as I started to open up closets and doors, 
I found out that people, which maybe is not uncommon, but distressing to me personally, walks off, they just walk off with things because they thought it belonged to them because they were there when the person may have won it and it got, it got misplaced. There are several people around who have very important Ford Motor Company trophies <clears throat> that they don't want to part with. You know, the punch bowl is probably one of them, frankly, Robert. I mean, it's probably every – there's someone, some person has got this punch bowl, and they know about it, but they're not going to give it up. Well, that's that brings to mind another story, and it's like the story about certain cars, prototypes, things like that, that were supposedly built, developed at Ford. You know, could have been GM, could have been Chrysler. And yep. then there were – supposedly the instructions were to destroy those vehicles, and then yep. – the cars never got destroyed. They wound up in somebody's garage because somebody at least, at least from our perspective as collectors and historians, at least the car was saved and not destroyed. So now it's in their possession. But who really owns that car? You know, that's the question. Is it really a problem? No, you're right. And, I mean, technically, Ford Motor Company owns the car. Right. I mean, it, it may not say that, but, I mean, they own the car. I mean, I mean that, you know, I'll, and I'll tell you one other quick little funny story because I was talking with Eddie Wood about a Mercury Cyclone. Mm-hmm. And he said that a guy had called him up and said that he had a Mercury Cyclone, but it was of the same vintage as the Torino Talladega. Okay. And Eddie and Eddie said, Eddie said, I don't think you ever made a car like that. So I went back to our archivist, and we were having a very hard time trying to find a Mercury Cyclone that had the same nose and the same ground effects and wing that the Torino Talladega had. And we think... You know, it's to your point that somehow things also get built and they're sold or marketed as something that they're not. So I think one also has to be very careful about that kind of thing, too. So, Well, now, all right, let me go back, jump back to the 60s real quick. And in the days of Woodward Avenue, were you one of the kids that kind of like had a cool car and went up and down Woodward Avenue, like with a lot of the other cool guys from, you know, the <laughs> GM and Ford and Chrysler? I went with them. Oh, you went I with never, them? <laughs> I never, I, I don't, I think my father may have, may have left me a message that said it wasn't a good idea if I ever got caught. Okay. So well, I um, I went with a couple of guys who owned some very fast Corvettes because they were sort of the <clears throat> they were the car of the of the time. Okay. So, but you know, Woodward, have you been back for the Dream Cruise now? I've never been to the Dream Cruise, but I've been up there for the uh, for the uh, concourse at St. John's and yep, uh, some of the other yep. stuff. And some, well, but, you want to you want to come up one year and uh, and call Kevin Kennedy or somebody and. And come up for the um, for the Woodward Dream Cruise because it is quite something. Okay, well I'm looking for I might be able to do that because I'd like to see the the museum and my son is very interested in this kind of stuff. He's 15. He's going to be 16 here there next year. He's a big fan of the Boss 302. By the way, thanks for bringing that car perfect. back. And, perfect, perfect, perfect. And uh, so that's cool. Let me ask, let me get digress here real quick. Now, uh, there's a friend of mine. I was talking about George Whisman. Okay, classic design concepts. Well, his brother Hank, uh, a number of years ago, had a '69. It was a '68 or '69. I think it was a '69 Cougar. Get this: factory 428 Coverjet four-speed car, full. Factory leather interior, door panels, headliners, the seatbelt buckles had had number two in it. Now, yeah. all right, now Chris at Lincoln Land, a real good friend of mine, also here in Clearwater, found a car out in California in Napa Valley. It was a '68 to '71 Mark III. Okay, it had some very unusual stuff. The seatbelt buckles in that car also had, you know, the Roman numeral two. So, could have those been your dad's car? Well, I, I can't speak about the the the, uh, the Mark because I don't remember that car very well. But at the but the Cougar very well could have been, because I remember that black Cougar very, very well. Really? Yeah, and the Cougar very well could have been my father's car. And what was really interesting, it had a sunroof, too. Yes, 
because because his friend um, Heinz Prechter would have put that in. Okay. Yep. Okay. No, I think that might that very well could have been. I'm surprised that the belt buckles didn't have HF2 on them because I think that's what they used to have. Or maybe that's what it was. But I remember there was yeah something like that. It was something unusual because he showed me the seatbelt buckles, yep. and that's what it was. Yeah, that's exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I thought that yep. was kind of obviously was my father's car. Hey, would you be willing to come on again sometime? Just talk about some absolutely. Of this? Be happy to talk with you whenever you'd like. Okay, super. Well, I want to thank my special guest this evening, Etzel B. Ford the second. Is that how you like to be addressed, Etzel B. Ford? Is that how you want to be introduced? Yep. That's well. That's my given name. That's so. given in. Okay. Well, anyway, Etzel, I want to thank you. Sometimes they refer to me as the godfather of Ford Racing, but... Uh... Now, how'd that, how'd that happen? How'd that name come about? Was I don't it... know. I think I made that up myself because I needed a title. Oh, okay. Well, that works for me. <laughs> An ambassador just didn't do well. Okay, everybody, tune in next week to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. My special guest will be Ed Pink, the world-renowned engine builder. Stay safe, drive carefully, love your family.